Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse, and I am so delighted to have our guest back today. His name is Raymond Grace. He's a remarkable man, a teacher, dowser, and consultant who has been in the business of empowering people. He is the author of Seasons of April, The Future is Yours, and Techniques That Work for Me. He is also the founder of the Raymond Grace Foundation, which is involved in cleaning water and energy and promotes health and well-being. He has studied and trained with people like Rolling Thunder, a Cherokee medicine man, Chief Two Trees, and Cherokee chiefs and healers. He is extremely articulate and brings the art and science of dowsing into very practical levels that are available for you and I. And when we had him on the show in 2012, people were so excited with that segment. We covered so much material. The world is in some ways a more dire place right now. There's much more concern and worry There's a lot of fear regarding financial markets, regarding health and well-being, regarding weather and disasters, regarding governments. And we're here to talk about the practicality of cleaning up areas and spaces, of energizing water, and also talking about the spirit of water. We did talk about that in the first segment. Raymond gave me a process to do before I went to sleep at night, and it's so beautiful. I want him to talk about it on the show Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the renowned Raymond Grace back to its rainmaking time. Good morning. Good morning, Kim. I really appreciate the invitation to uh, visit with you today. First of all, I would love for you to share what you shared with me after we did the first show together in 2012 about taking a cup of water and imprinting it before you go to sleep. Would you share that with the audience? I will, but before I get into that, I want to give you just a little bit of a reason why it works. My work is based on three very simple principles. Number one, all things, literally everything, is composed of energy and the intelligent human mind can redirect energy. Number two, energy is impressed upon matter. That means we are affected by everywhere we've been, people we've associated with, and any events in our life. And number three, I borrowed from Einstein that says energy follows thought. So what I had suggested that you do, and I suggest this to a great number of people, and I've been using it myself for 40 years, at night, take a small glass of water and Uh, Use as good a quality of water as you can. I realize some folks just have to use tap water, so that's that's okay. Just do it. But uh, I'd like to have a little better quality than that if possible. But anyway, um, you thank the water for becoming a part of your body because water literally has a spirit, and it does respond to human thought. I can elaborate on that later if you like, but I want to stick to the point right now. So as you slowly sip about half the water, mentally uh, repeat a statement or affirmation or prayer or whatever you might want to call it. Uh, For a, a suggestion, one of the things I do is I give thanks that this water will help me to be kind to my family, friends, clients, and animals, because I like to be kind to people as much as possible. And 
then you can have more than one uh, affirmation in this. I sometimes maybe have a half a dozen. But with each sip of water, I just mentally repeat uh, what I wish to accomplish. And then uh, if you drink more than half the water, we'll just pour some more in it. And the next morning when you get up, you do exactly the same thing again. What well, The reason, in my opinion, that this works is uh, energy is impressed upon matter. Thoughts and intentions are energy. Water is matter. And you are putting your thoughts and intents into the water. You are then putting the water into your body. And the water then will become a part of every cell of your body because you are composed of the water you have drank within the last several days. Uh, so that gives our left brain, which is our logical way of thinking, uh, a reason to believe this. It's really that simple. And you can uh, vary from night to night on what you want to do. Uh, for example, you may have a business meeting uh, and you want to uh, make the best impression possible, say the right thing at the right time. Uh, you can put that kind of thought in there. Uh, I really believe that it is quite possible to put the thought in there to flush any type of uh, virus, toxins, or whatever out of the body. Now, last week, I worked on a little nine-year-old boy for parasites, and I really didn't know how well this would work. But then again, I never know how well something's going to work till we get results. And I did, uh, I think I used that technique along with something else. I, I used what I call scramble of frequency of something because everything, including human bodies, ha has a frequency. And I, if I remember correctly, I scrambled the frequency of the uh, parasites in this kid's body and adjusted them to the frequency of pure water. Well, I get a, a call about three days later from his mom when the kid had a bowel movement the next morning. And she thought she'd better check and see what was going on, and the toilet bowl was full of dead worms. My God. So uh, that may sound a little gross, but the fact is most human beings have parasites. And I'm not saying this is a foolproof way of getting them out. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we had one case that apparently that's what did it. Now, in our earlier segment, you referred to this process or this phenomenon as human intent with the power of the focus mind, something that we don't really learn in school. I mean, sure, people say concentrate, but this is different. So some people may think you have extraordinary powers in order to do that. Talk about why in the past you said you don't have extraordinary powers and that all people have this capability. Well, now, let me clarify that. I don't know that all people have that capability any more than all people have the capability for being a mechanic or an artist or a singer. Different people have different abilities. Right. I don't believe that everybody has equal capabilities on everything because some people are artists, some are singers, some are mechanics, but and not everybody has equal ability. So uh, I do think this is a teachable characteristic or skill would probably be a better way to say it and the more we do it the better we get at it and what i find is that most folks simply don't practice they wait until they've got an emergency and then they try to learn it's like jumping out of a parachute uh, out of a plane with a parachute on the way down you think you know i really should have read the instruction book <laughs> true that's very true so i guess the question here is what do you attribute to the ability to basically send this young boy into a detox, getting rid of his parasites. What do you call that? 
Did you use dowsing to do it? Well, I did, but it wasn't really necessary. Okay. Dowsing is simply a tool that helps us to believe in what we're doing. Uh, the way I also said, it's a tool that will help you to recognize what you already know. You just didn't realize you knew it. So it's um, it's a good tool, but it's not magical. Uh, people have the misconception of saying, well, ask your pendulum this. Well, that pendulum doesn't know. It's simply a forty-five bullet on a chain. It has no intelligence, <laughs> not really. Um, so the intelligence and the power is within the human mind. And this is... Like I say, it's just a tool to help you believe in what you're doing. So why does it work for me better than the average person? Because I spend more time at it. You get good at what you do the most of. It's just really that simple. I agree with you. One of the things I love that you said in the earlier show, Raymond, is that dowsing helps you stack the deck of life in your favor. I thought that was beautiful. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's what I call my classes now, is how to stack the deck of life in your favor. I love it. It's not a substitute for common sense. It's not a substitute for hard work and logical thinking. What it is, it's an asset to it. I want you to explain something to me about taking a glass of water before you go to bed, imprinting it with your intent, okay? What is the distinction between that protocol and your DVD energizing water where you can energize a lake or put your thought and intent into a body of water and let's say alter it at a chemical level. Like one time there's arsenic in a well, and after you're done energizing, there's no reports of arsenic in that well. Well, the principle, Kim, is probably about the same. I'd never really been asked that question, so I don't have a real quick answer for you. But uh, I guess the simplest answer is one is you're working on your body, another is you're simply working on uh, a body of water uh, at some distance away. The principle, though, is still the same. Energy is impressed upon matter. And uh, the way we're cleaning up water and the way we do it with that film, I put a thought form in that film. What is that? Explain what that is, too, Raymond. What is a thought form? What are you talking uh, about? A thought form, by my simple definition, is nothing more than a strong intent. Okay. So uh, I just put an intent in there that uh, it would change the energy of water wherever it was played as if I were there doing it myself. And that way, uh, I can be in a few thousand places at once if that many people are playing that film out there. Uh, and that, I did the same thing, Kim, to uh, uh, this film I have, and it's free out there if anybody wants it, called Blueprint for Freedom. You can go to RaymondGraceFoundation.org and click on what we do, and there's a film that comes up there. We call it Blueprint for Freedom. And what it uh, made it for was for human trafficking, but uh, it's also applicable to any type of abuse upon anyone, anywhere, at any time, from schoolyard bullies to harassment in the office to abuse in nursing homes or hospitals or jails or whatever. And it's, it was my way of giving the world a way for victims to fight back so they wouldn't have to be victims anymore. And uh, you don't have to get physically involved. You don't even have to get verbally involved. It's simply a way that you can use your mind to focus the energy that I'm really giving you there, uh, spell it out real plain, and uh, you can focus that energy wherever you want to focus it. And uh, I did the same thing with all my films, but especially the water. And what really 
got my attention on the water was one of my friends used it to clean up a well 85-mile distance. And the next day, the water in the well had good taste and, and good odor to it. But I, I got another story to tell you on that, too, that just came up this summer. Uh, back about four years ago, I was uh, doing a class down in Texas, and this couple was there. And I may or may not have said this on another show. I don't really remember. Uh, but they said uh, that the water where they lived had a not not a good taste, and it actually had a kind of a brown tint. The swimming pool wasn't nice and clear. It kind of had a brown uh, haze to it. And they didn't drink the water, didn't really want to take a bath in it. Well, by the time they drove home, which was a distance of probably no more than four hours, I think from Dallas down to Austin, the swimming pool was sparkling. I mean, literally sparkling. And they said, we have the sweetest tasting water we've ever had in our life. Well, I was real happy about that. I'm always happy to help folks uh, do things like this. But then this past year, another issue came up. Now, there was a lot of minerals in the water there and always had been. The minerals had collected around the inside of the water pipes. I don't really know what the correct terminology is here, but they just, there was a, a mineral buildup uh, in, inside there, and that restricts the water flow because what you might have had as an inch pipe at one time, now you had only maybe an ha- eighth of an inch because of all of the, uh, uh, the, the buildup. And the pipes went under the concrete floor in the house, so the only alternative that they had been given was to jackhammer up the concrete floor and put in new pipes, which was quite expensive and disrupting to the to the house and everything. And I said, well, hold off on that. Give me a few days here. Let me see what I can do. But go ahead and take the uh, little filter screens off of all of your faucets. Now, on most every faucet, uh, uh, there's a little screen there, and you just uh, unscrew it and can take it out. I said, there's going to be a bunch of junk and crud coming through there in a little bit. Well, I guess it was about three or four days later. I don't really remember the time frame, but no longer than that. I get a, a phone call saying, oh, we have good water pressure. It's running fine, but there was an awful lot of junk uh, that came out of the faucets. I said, well, that's why I had you take the screen off. I kind of thought that was going to happen. What I did, I just mentally projected into those water pipes, and uh, I didn't actually dissolve, but kind of broke loose the mineral buildup. And uh, that was one of our uh, better accomplishments. I was, I was really glad to help those folks, save them several thousand dollars there. But what it did for me, it showed it, me the power of intent. And there's really no reason that we should doubt anything we can do whenever we're getting physical evidence like that. I think that's true, and that leads me to the other question I wanted to ask you, which was, as a teacher, as a person who empowers people for a living, fundamentally, and gets results, isn't it your experience that one of the greatest challenges people have at becoming very good and successful in their dousing work is their belief that they may not be able to do it or that they're not good enough or they don't have the belief that they can cause the manifestation of something by their focused intent and power of their mind. Well, you're right. I don't have a problem giving information to people and instructions. And I don't have a problem convincing them that I have done these things. The problem is convincing people that they can do it. Exactly. And, and it, But there's a reason for that, Kim. 
Uh, the human race has been beaten down for centuries. We've always been told what we can't do instead of being told what we can do. Hardly anybody down through history seems to have ever really tried to empower the human race. What you're saying actually is so pivotal, particularly right now. There is a man that did years and years of experiments in telepathy. And recently he spoke at a prominent place called TED Talks. People share about all these different ideas and breakthrough paradigms and He talked about how animals know when their owners are coming home and the power of telepathy, how we pick things up, whether we talk through our mouth or not. And the long and the short of it is that the belief structure is still so solid in terms of the power of the mind at a school and university level that they actually censored his video. And this is a very prominent person. Can you imagine if the schools had classes in the power of the mind and really understood the capability of the mind and focused intent, what would happen to our children? Well, we could turn the earth into a paradise. Oh, my God. Well, now, Kim, let's just think just a minute on this. I have, or at least I had, a report uh, from the some branch of the Canadian government that tests water. And this came to me, and I'm sure we would have talked about this on the other show. We did, but I want you to repeat it because it's so important. Oh, okay, well, what happened, I was, uh, my buddy and I were traveling across uh, Canada and uh, up in Saskatchewan. We were asked to uh, come by this place and visit and have dinner and spend the night. And then when I got there, I found out why they had a problem with uh, arsenic in the water. And uh, the arsenic um, was very, very high, I mean, way above the standard safe level. And um, I told the man as well, I'd be glad to help you, but I know absolutely nothing about arsenic, but let me see what I can do. And uh, I just kind of stood there and focused on the water, pulled out a pendulum and uh, said I would like to scramble, this is the terminology I use, I'd like to scramble the frequency of arsenic and adjust it to the frequency of pure water. Now, that's all I did. There's no reason to try to read anything else into this because there is nothing else there. Well, uh, about two months later, I get the phone call from him saying, you took 90% of the arsenic out of the water. The government, uh, Canadian government or water uh, quality people, who, whoever does it, had tested it before and after. So they knew it was in there. When they tested again, 90% of it was gone. And I said, well, have it tested again one of these days. It may take a while. So about a year later, he has it tested again and they can barely find a trace of arsenic. I mean, it's just simply not there. Well, um, if we can project into a clogged water pipe and break loose the minerals and the buildup and all that to where the water will flow again, why cannot we then project into any type of pollution and reduce it to its original element? Because I believe if we do that, that pollution then would no longer exist. I love what you're talking about. I think when people originally hear this, and I'm not saying all people, but a lot of people may think, oh, it's new age mumbo jumbo. But when you have results with it, it's not new age mumbo jumbo. (laughs) I've always been fascinated in dowsing. And I really didn't understand the mechanism. But then when I watched your video on energizing water, 
It was so profound how you can energize water and energize environments and alter them from afar. You don't even have to physically be there to be able to think that that's doable and then know that that's doable. That's like a real transition in the human mind, isn't it? Well, yes. We have a number of people that come to class. Matter of fact, uh, here about a month ago, uh, this lady and her daughter showed up in class and said they had bad tasting water in the well at home. And I said, well, drop me an email sometime this week. Let me know what happens. So I worked on the well on Sunday afternoon. Tuesday morning, I got an email. We have the best tasting water we've ever tasted. And this was done from a distance, well, I don't know, about 100, 150 miles maybe. But distance isn't a factor. It's just not a factor at all. Now, here's the problem. I, I need to go ahead and address this so people don't start writing you and me both asking me to clean up everything in the world. <laughs> they might. <laughs> uh, because I try to avoid stuff like that. Um, I got asked to clean up the Ganges River in India by someone who was worked with animals, and they said the water was so bad it was killing the baby crocodiles. And by the way, I have been... I can't verify any of this stuff. I'm just saying this is what I was asked to Well, do. wait, wait, wait. Before you tell the rest of the story, can I just tell the audience that I have personally been on the Ganges River on a little boat on Christmas Day 30 years ago with a friend of mine and two people paddling and seeing crocodiles. And that's also where they do cremations. It's also where they take dead bodies. It's also where they do prayers. People brush their teeth in that water. It's been known to have cholera in it and all kinds of diseases. Go ahead. Well, okay. What happened, Kim? Uh, that was 30 years ago. This is what I found. I simply started checking it out. And I guess it was about the worst piece of water that I ever checked in my life. I never got the feedback that I was promised on it, so I can't really say too much what happened. But um, I found I, I got to thinking about it, and as long as you keep dumping raw sewage, chemicals, and dead bodies in water, you can't really expect somebody in another country to clean up all your mess for you. I agree with you. So uh, the answer is here is please, anybody listening out there, don't write me and ask me to clean up a mess somebody else made. Uh, we have what we have films. You get it and do it yourself. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I want you to consider that the water we drink is crucial to our health and well-being. I also want you to consider that chronic dehydration is the precursor to a disease state. The work of Dr. Batman Jellich demonstrates this. Many of us are trying to find alkalized water to drink, thinking that's going to be the answer to impacting our health and well-being. Most of us don't know that if we cannot get our body hydrated, we cannot achieve continuous alkalinity, which is a promoter of health and well-being. The physics of water is totally distinct from the chemistry of water. And until you understand what that means to health and wellness, you can be lost in trying to understand what is good, healthy water to drink. Dr. Jacques Benveniste was right when he said that water has memory and is alive. And Dan Nelson is right when he says there's a distinction between irrigating the body and hydrating it. And most of us attempt to hydrate it by drinking more water Cells cannot assimilate most of the water that we drink, so our cells are dehydrated all the time. Learn the science about this by going to the Positron Group and consider purchasing Wayback Water. 
The Fast Track to Hydration by Dan Nelson, who's a physicist, an educator, and a man who's committed that we have healthy, remarkable drinking water. Go to waybackwater.com or call Nancy Ainsley at 870-741-5877. And back to the show. The example that you're bringing up is really important because there's an unreasonableness about even the request. The fact is, because it's the sacred river there, you know, the Ganges, all kinds of stuff is going on in there. And never in my life in traveling have I been so sick as when I was at the river Ganges, staying in that area, Varanasi, India. The smell just walking down the street, I literally had to cover my nose and my mouth. I could barely breathe there. It was so vile. I remember it 30 years ago. I literally said to my friend, we got to get out of here. I can't. I can't. This is horrendous. It was the worst. So the air was so bad. The smell was so bad of the place. The worst thing I've ever been through in my life. And then, you know, to see what went on there, et cetera. And again, this is not any kind of slight to Hindu people, but it was rough on the senses. Very rough. Well, it's just calling a spade a spade. Tell it the way it is. Uh, and, you know, I will help people in any country if they want to set out a container of water and uh, send me an email or whatever. I'll do my best to help them out to energize it to get started. But uh, it's unrealistic to continue to pollute something asking someone else to clean it up. I want to bring up a sensitive thing about water. In Northern California, and I don't remember exactly where it is, but there's a great lake. It's a Native American area. There's a lake, and it has heavy amounts of mercury in it, organic mercury. And then there's also been mercury dumping as well. Now, this is a sensitive subject, and probably nobody should be touching this but Raymond Grace. But I wonder, have you ever been involved in doing the work you're doing energizing and cleaning water that had that kind of virulent chemicals in it. I mean, arsenic is bad, too. Arsenic's terrible. But All I can say on that is the river here that flows through the place where I live had been closed to fishing because of a factory upstream that had uh, dumped mercury in it for uh, many, many years. And the fish, uh, were, we were told, were not safe to eat, actually they would be poisoned. Uh, I took this river on as a project without really saying too awful much about it. And there's a local college I've been working with uh, where the students come and help clean up the trash out of the river. If anybody wants to know what we're doing, you can go to our Raymond Grace Foundation and look at uh, River uh, River Project and see pictures of us hauling off massive loads of trash out of that river. Uh, so... The word I got, now this is not official, it's just what I was told, that one of the professors at the college had had the water tested and the, murder, uh, the mercury content had dropped considerably. Now that's, that, that's the word I got and that's really all I can say. But what would be the difference in taking removing mercury from water and removing arsenic and nitrates, total dissolved solids, sulfur, and, and these type of things? I, I don't see that there's any difference. Now, Kim, while we're on this subject, I want to throw out another one I mentioned earlier uh, before we came on air. To, uh, rem- oh, you're going to talk about, tell them about the alfalfa problem. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. This was a year ago, it would have been April of 2012, a good friend of mine lives about 100 miles away, called and says, I really have a problem. Uh, he is a dairy farmer, 
and uh, he said, um, I noticed some weeds in my alfalfa field, and I called the local farm supply place to come out and spray the 20 acres of alfalfa for weeds. And what happened, they picked up the wrong jug of chemicals, and they sprayed it with Roundup. And I said, well, how long is it going to take to overcome this? He said, a year. I've got to plow it up, reseed it, start all over. And I said, well, don't plow it up just yet. Give me a few days. Let me see what I can do. See, losing a year's supply of alfalfa to a small dairy farmer is a major loss. And I said, he's a really nice guy, and I wanted to help him. Well, he sent me a picture 30 days later when they cut hay. The alfalfa, he said, was over four feet high. He got five cuttings off of it last year. Now, I have a picture of that on my archive newsletter. It was sometime, I think, September of 2012 newsletter, but I'm not real sure. I don't keep up with things like that too well. But it's something he didn't tell me, and I'm glad he didn't, because this man was in one of my classes I was doing in July. And I said, Bob, stand up here and tell the folks a story about your alfalfa field, because you can tell it better than I can. What he said that day that he didn't tell me was he could not find a single living alfalfa plant in the whole field. Wow. Now, had he told me that, I probably would not have had the belief that I could have brought it back. But since he didn't tell me, I didn't know it. And I, I didn't know it couldn't be done. Isn't that incredible? Well, you know what we did? What? I scrambled the frequency of Roundup and turned it into fertilizer. This is so important because of what's going on. Well, uh, Kim, whenever we get results like this, why should we doubt that we can, can we, we can clean up anything? I mean, the potential of the human mind has just barely been tapped. I mean, I've only scratched the surface of what's really possible out there. Have you ever had any personal challenges with regard to your capability as a dowser that really boggled your mind? You mean things I couldn't get done? Yes, things that you had trouble with, things that took a long time for you to either work or it just didn't work. Have you had some failures? Uh, Let me be real quick to say not everything I ever tried worked. I don't ever want to give that impression at all. Um, Have there been some things I can't do? Well, we still got corrupt government. Boy, and that's all over the world, actually. It's... uh, uh, One of the things, as I listened to the first segment that we did that was very, very exciting, is the ability to focus your intent and your mind on cleaning up situations, conditions in the world. So many of us feel helpless to affect and to make things better from afar without having to directly be involved in something. If you have some recent examples in the last year with impacting some situation that's been really negative or really bad that you feel you can share? Well, yeah, I do, but I'm going to have to kind of censor this and be evasive to protect uh, the other parties. Okay. Uh, So this would have been 2011, I guess. I was contacted by, uh, let's just say, a government official, a fairly high government official, moderately high. The group uh, of the lawmakers uh, in that particular uh, area, uh, the particular state, were at each other's throat. Uh, And the person that contacted me said, you know, we really need to work together and everybody's just about to give up and walk out. 
can you do anything to hold us together enough to where we can have some kind of compatibility here to finish our, our session? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of it. Let me know what happens. About two days later, uh, I get an email saying, as soon as you did that, everything changed. And everybody started getting along. They managed to come to some kind of an agreement. Uh, and even one of the higher officials noticed, and he said, we haven't elected any new people. We've got the same people we had last year, and we fought all the time last year. This time we're getting along. Well, I always work on those type of things. I work in the background. I just uh, Nobody needs to know I'm involved in it. Um, but what that was the only case that I have ever had of working on anything, I think, uh, that really made a lot of difference uh, at, at a government level, except one more thing. I did get another phone call one time from another person in law enforcement that says, are you working on um, uh, corruption? And I said, well, yeah, I was trying. He said, well, I can see that it's made quite a difference, and I thought that you were probably the one responsible for it. I said, well, in that case, I'll keep doing it. Now, why did this work? And why have the other times I would try something didn't work? The only answer I have is both times I was invited to get involved by someone in the establishment. Uh, I have, and I may have mentioned before, a very nice letter from a Canadian Mountie thanking me for lowering the crime rate in a village way up in Canada. And this, the crime was very serious there, and it dropped to zero. Uh, but why did it work? probably because I was invited to get involved by someone there. Uh, I've noticed if you have someone physically on location or in the establishment that invites the help, uh, it just it just works so much better. So that that's about the only thing I really can say on that. In the interview we did in 2012, you said you can measure anything with dousing. Each body part has a unique energy and intelligence. And a lot of times human bodies either don't want to live or the body has lost its desire to live when people are having physical ailments and problems. You talked about love and happiness is energy and how this electrical energy can be directed and that the spirit of love and happiness can raise up the body. I thought this was very, very profound that you noticed and were clear that the body has its own intelligence and that maybe the person is not aware that the body may be getting ill because it doesn't want to live. But I wanted you to further explain that, and I didn't have you further explain that in that interview. Do you know what I'm saying? I've learned some more uh, since then too, Kim. Um, actually, in the last month, I've had a real breakthrough on some of this information. All these years, I have been working with people, teaching them how to change the belief systems of their brain. Well, what I found was that the body also had its belief systems and its own opinions and feelings and so on. Uh, for example, any body part that has been insulted or injured will probably have a lot of anger and rage and probably be fear in it. And I don't want to get real personal on uh, on air here on this, but in the last month, I have been overwhelmed with uh, clients, and I'll just ch 
check out their bodies and tell them uh, what is how much fear they have, and uh, I measure fear on a scale of zero to 100%. And um, part of the time they recognize this, part of the time they don't. But the interesting thing is, whenever you remove the fear, the anger, rage, uh, shame, guilt, embarrassment, whatever it is, they can feel a difference. Amazing. I really should have known this all along, but somehow I hadn't managed to connect the dots until I all at once, and then it just became so obvious. And, uh, for example, I injured a hand about a month ago uh, here working, and I got to thinking about it, so I checked the hand to see how strong the spirit of life was in it. And it was only about 10%. So I raised it to 100%, and it proceeded to to heal up pretty good. Um, So if there's any number of things that you can measure, you just got to you just got to think of them. And a lot of folks, I mean, a tremendous amount of folks are, are carrying a lot of shame and guilt in their bodies and various parts of the bodies. And this is because, in my opinion, the culture in which we live have programmed people to feel that way about themselves. That's so astute, so true. And some cultures around the world have even more of a shame culture than wherever we are. The good news is... We now know how to correct it. Now, will I ever write a book on this? I doubt it. Um, and actually, what, what I'm saying right now is the first time I've actually said it publicly. Uh, well, it's extraordinary. Given me an opportunity, so I might as well say it. Maybe somebody out there can put it to use and do something with it. To the extent that you're comfortable, can you talk a little bit more about the measuring of fear, anger, shame, guilt, and whatever else? Because one of the things I notice is that you have this incredibly honed ability to ask the key questions. What I usually do, if a person has a body part that is not functioning well, whether it's a thyroid or an elbow or a stomach or whatever it is, I can pretty much promise you about three or four things. Number one, the cells of that body part are not compatible with each other. That body part will not likely be compatible with the rest of the body. It will have no love in it. It will have no happiness, and it won't want to live. And if we start correcting the, take out any fear or shame or guilt or anger or rage, and then bring in the spirit of love, spirit of happiness, and that will generally bring the cells of the body into compatibility, and in many cases, it will automatically raise the desire to live. This is so interesting. You know what this makes me think of? It's not the same, but it reminds me of the meridian channels in a body that Chinese doctors and acupuncturists talk of, these meridians are telling the body parts how they feel, where they're at, what kind of life force they have. The way in which you're accessing it is different, but it sounds like you're tapping into that huge knowledge base. Sometimes a body part will actually talk to me. Uh, And, well, that that sounds a little uh, exaggerated. Let's just say I can pick up the information of what it's feeling. It may be tired, it may be insulted, it may have been abused, uh, or whatever. And where you really run into this is uh, if you have to deal with sexual abuse on people, 
they're going to be carrying a lot of fear, anger, and rage. Incredible. And we've been able to remove this, and sometimes I will get instant feedback from them, like, wow, I felt that. That's remarkable. Uh, Something else I did uh, one day for a friend, Kim, Uh, I had a a friend call me one day, and she had lost her husband a few months before, and both of them were good friends of mine, and she said, I would have liked to have called you sooner, but I knew when I started talking about him, I would start crying. And she did right then. And I said, well, you know, the problem is you have the spirit of grief uh, 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 affecting you. So let me see if I could turn that grief into happiness. After all, grief is a form of energy and happiness is a form of energy. So help me, Kim. Within a, month, within a minute, she was laughing. She called me back a week, no, an hour later, I guess it was. And, and she said, you know, I can think about him now, and I don't cry. I actually remember you sharing that beautiful experience with us in the earth. No, 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 it's good. It's very, very important. It's very important. The same principle that was grief, that same principle would apply to any other emotion. I want to go back to something that you said about being invited to help somebody. Okay. Okay. I happen to feel that the invitation for assistance is so powerful when you are invited, somebody is basically saying to you, I'm open, I'm receptive, I'm ready for this thing, whatever it is, to shift. It doesn't matter what the it is. It's whatever it is. The reason it works is not only because you're a master in your field and you know that you can do it is, but you're aligning two or more people to intend for something to shift. I mean, not to get biblical or anything like that. I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. But when two or more gather to have something happen, there's a power in that. Do you see that too, or or you I don't? I totally agree with you. Yeah, totally. It's just amazing. Imagine when more people gather and stand for something to have a major shift for human betterment or for betterment anywhere. The power of that is immense, and I think that one of the reasons there's so much negativity and so much unhappiness is that we don't have enough people intending and knowing their intention transfers into a causal place. It becomes part of matter. And therefore, people just go about their day-to-day stuff, thinking, projecting, talking, as if there's no causal outflow of that. You are like a living testimony that there's causation happening in the way that we speak, in the way that we think, in the way that we feel and project and operate. I interview a lot of physicists, and I've done so many shows on water. When physicists talk about the water, they talk about imprinting frequencies, altering the frequency of the water, vortexing it, giving it life, giving it chi. But what you're able to do and teach is not necessarily having to vortex it, not having to spin it, not having to buy thousands of dollars of equipment to do it. However, in order to work in the realm that you're working in, at the level you're working in, you have to have practiced and seen results and increased your confidence level, correct? That that's doable and accessible to you, the person doing this. Do you agree with me? Yes, I do. Uh, and more people can do this than realize it. The, the problem is folks just don't realize the power of their own mind. And I haven't cornered the market on any of this stuff. I mean, I'm doing my best to get the word out there, 
And the message is, you can do it. I'm not in the guru business. I'm in the self-empowerment business. I love that about you. And speaking of that, I want to tell you a cute little story. I've been interested in dowsing since 2004 when I interviewed Bill Cox, both for television and radio. He had given me a pendulum. It was like this pearl pendulum. And I practiced and practiced, but it didn't really work for me. Now, for whatever reason, I don't know why I didn't put it together, get another pendulum. As a former tournament tennis player, I know that I could put a tennis racket in your hand, Raymond, and if I don't check the grip with your hand, if I don't check how it feels when you swing it, in other words, that's why there's 50 different types of rackets because, and I, and if I don't check how is it strung, what is it strung with it? Is it gut? Is it nylon? And how tight is it strung? So the bottom line is it's usually pretty easy once you understand what you're doing to find the right racket, the grip, the whole bit, the sweet spot for somebody learning the game. But if I put the wrong racket in your hand, it's strung too tight, the grip is wrong, you're going to hate tennis. You're not going to want to practice, and you're not. it does not going to feel right to you. As a student of dowsing, and I consider myself a student, it took me years to find a pendulum that worked for me. I can't believe it. Had I even had somebody else douse to find out, was I working with the right pendulum? But now I'm working with something that works for me. And it's made a huge difference in getting more accurate information that's verifiable giving me confidence that I can do it. And I just wanted to share with you as a student of this that it made a big difference for me. And I don't know if people start out and they don't feel like they're getting enough correct answers. Check, because you may not have the right instrument. Do you agree with me? Not really, Kim. Okay, tell me. Because uh, personally, I think you can put a nut on a string and get just as much information as you can with a gold-plated pendulum and a diamond tip. Well, then what happened to me? Well... A number of things will affect our dowsing accuracy. I mean, it affects mine. I'm assuming it'll affect most everybody else. And that is something I call polarity. Uh, you see, the earth has tilted. And if uh, in my classes, I said, hey, I'll always ask, how many of you folks have noticed that the sun doesn't rise where it did four years ago? About 20% on an average of people notice this. That means that 80% of folks don't know anything happened. <laughs> well, what happens is the earth the earth has tilted. Scientists, I think, have finally admitted it tilted 15 degrees. My dowsing says it tilted a little bit more than that, but I won't argue over two or three degrees. Uh, and that means to me that the poles of the earth are out of balance, and we're part of the earth. And if a person's polarity is out of balance, and most everyone's is, then that will affect dowsing accuracy. Interesting. Another thing that will affect it, is, and this is kind of unusual, but it does happen, is what I call astrological influence. And this affects people's moods, but it also affects the accuracy. So um, in class, I always uh, show people how, this is how you correct your polarity, how you cor uh, correct the magnetism of your body. Because I've got up over the morning and start to dial something for someone, and I know good and well I'm getting the wrong answer. And I'll check, and my polarity is out of balance. Okay, so I'll balance it. I'll ask the same question again, and I'll get the right answer. So since the majority of the human race is out of balance with their polarity, in my opinion, that's why the accuracy isn't correct for most folks. Other dowsers have said that before you go to douse, you need to clean the energy and make the energy receptive to begin dousing. Do you agree or disagree? 
Uh, there's not any harm in it, but I don't do it. Uh, people have made way too many rules about dowsing. And uh, I personally think you can douse driving down the road at 75 miles an hour with, hand, with one hand on a pendulum, one hand on the wheel, and get just accurate information. But then again, it, it, it takes practice to do that. Whenever you're starting out, I think you probably ought to sit down and get kind of relaxed and uh, that would help put yourself in the alpha brain frequency. But the interesting thing is, uh, the brain frequency research of dowsers has shown that they simultaneously function in all brain frequencies, that is, alpha, beta, theta, and delta. Um, now, I'm no expert on that, but I think that is why we're able to get information that we do when, when we douse. I never really did get into the mechanics of it, of why it worked. Uh, the only questions I ever asked when I learned something my first question is, does it work? My second question is, does it help? And if I get a yes to those two, uh, I don't ever even bother to ask any more questions. Just put it to work. I want to tell you a practical experience I had a couple of weeks ago. I went to a market. I went in with an iPad. I didn't want to leave it in the car. And I was talking to the manager, and apparently, unbeknownst to me, I left the iPad on the counter and went home. And I got busy. I think I even had to do a show or something. I was looking around. I couldn't find it. And I took out the pendulum and I asked, is it in my home? And I got a no. And I go, is it in the car? And I got a no. And I said, is it in the trunk? And I got a no. For whatever reason, I wanted to double check. I looked all over my home. I didn't find it. I went to the car. It wasn't there. And then it dawned on me. I said, is it at the market? And I got a yes. The next question was, is it recoverable? I got a yes. I called, they had it. Boom, and I went. But this is so practical. <laughs> so practical. And I want to tell you something that I want to reveal to you. I'm sure people go through this when they're training themselves. A friend of mine called. She says, I can't find my keys. I walked from my car to the condo. I can't find it. I'm going crazy. I said, you know what? I'm not a professional dowser, but I'll try. I asked a bunch of questions. I was getting different types of information. And then what popped in my head was, have her look in the kitchen. And then I doused that, okay, which didn't make sense to me, okay? It didn't make sense to my conscious mind. <laughs> so I doused it and I got, yes, it's in the kitchen. But because I don't consider myself, you know, a 90% accurate dowser, I didn't tell her. I didn't want to ruin the reputation of dousing. I didn't tell her what popped in my head and what I doused that I got a yes in the kitchen. So I tell her these other things that I got, which I knew were all wrong. And she calls me back an hour later. She goes, I found it. And I go, where was it? And she goes, the kitchen. And I go, oh my God, that's what I got. But I was embarrassed. I didn't want to ruin the reputation of dousing. And I didn't want you to make fun of me. And she says, so you let me go through hell for an hour? What is the matter with you? What do you think of that? <laughs> well, actually what dowsing does is helps to enhance your intent. So whether you douse that or whether you just had a thought, it was still probably about one and the same thing. Now, this is what I found, Kim. In classes, I'll say, how many of you folks have laid down something, and you know where you put it? And you go back to get it, and it's not there. And there'll be two-thirds of the class raise their hands. And uh, 
I say, well, the question to ask is, is it in this dimension? Because what will happen, people lose stuff like that or think they've lost it. And then they'll go back a few days later, and by golly, it's right where they left it. The truth is, I think it was there all the time. They just couldn't see it. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, I have, I've had that happen a number of times. And I just say, well, bring it back and put it in this dimension where I can find it. I remember a fellow, one of my good friends called one night. He had uh, uh, lost his uh, keys to all of his buildings, had quite a few of them. I said, well, I believe they're in your basement. He said, well, I haven't been in the basement in a few days. I said, well, I think you ought to go down there and look because that's where I'm getting that they are. Well, about an hour later, he calls. He said, I found those keys in an old vest pocket that I haven't had on for over a year. Wow. Uh, Kim, we're in a living in a very strange time that uh, <laughs> things kind of uh, not not quite like they used to be. <laughs> That's more uh, action. Whenever the sun doesn't rise where it has for all of our ancestors, and whenever the energy of the rain has increased approximately 7,500%, I figure we're in the middle of a change. For sure. See, I've been measuring rain for, oh, since 97, I guess. And on my numeric scale, rain always measured around 2,000, wherever it was. In polluted areas uh, with, with air pollution, it would be somewhat less than that. Tap water in most cities would measure maybe around 1,200 or so. Well... As of around the 1st of March of 2012, we noticed that the energy of the rain was increasing. And the last time I measured rain last week, I think it was somewhere in the vicinity of 180,000, up from 2,000. What does that tell you, Raymond? Well, it, the only thing it can tell me, I guess, is that there's something big going on more than I understand. For sure. Uh, but I've done this. When I have people from foreign countries in the class, like maybe Australia, Greece, France, Italy, Canada, uh, New Zealand, and I had a whole bunch of them in one class, and I said, I want you to go back in time till the 1st of January 2012 and check on that date what was the energy of your water supply. And you check it on any kind of scale you want, whatever you're comfortable with. They, they do that, and I said, okay, fine. I'd like for you to check it today and tell me what you get. In every case, the energy of the water has significantly risen. Is that good? In my opinion, it's very good. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because I think, now this is what I think, not what I know, that the more energy in the water, the better we will be able to put thought forms in it. And I tell people, when it rains, Put the energy of peace and happiness and love into the rain and see if you can change the what's going on in, in the area where you live. How beautiful. But then again, the clouds are also made of water, so why couldn't we not do the same thing to clouds? I like the story that you shared in the first segment we did about somebody teaching you to put an axe down. Tell the audience that again. I thought that was fascinating. Did I tell you about what we did at, at April's wedding on that one? You did, but I want you to state that again because that is really well, fascinating. Well, whenever April told me she was going to get married on the riverbank, I said, well, you need a backup plan in case it rains. And she says, you're it. So <laughs> I thought, well, okay. I knew it was going to rain. I could just feel it. 
I mean, this was months before the wedding. Well, sure enough, the day of the wedding, it was raining. And I looked on the weather radar, and there was a major uh, rainstorm coming this way. So I walked down to the river, which was about a quarter of a mile away, and I took my belt knife, and I split the clouds. And I said, I'd like for you not to rain right here where we're going to have this little ceremony until after it's over. And then just to make, to play it safe, I got a double-bit axe and went over to the side, kind of in the edge of the woods, and stuck it in the ground, split the clouds. Well, the folks had to park about a tenth of a mile or so away, and there was a light rain. They had their umbrellas, and they walked down. We had about 100 chairs set out there on the riverbank. And they go in and sit down, and they noticed it's raining in the river 20 feet or so in front of us. It's raining 20 feet or so behind us in the field, but it's not raining here. Until somebody comes along and pulls an axe out of the ground. When it did that, it started raining. So my brother happened to see that, and he just got the axe and put it back in the ground, and the rain stopped again. But we, we've taught people how to do that, and I get all kind of feedback from all over the country. <laughs> I'm of, sure. Uh, <laughs> of stopping. Uh, matter of fact, one good friend of mine last summer when that, uh, you know, this would have been last October when that storm Sandy went up the northeast, yes. blew most everything away. I had a friend up there that had just been in a class with me, and he called and he said, um, that storm is headed right towards my farm. He said, what can I do? And I says, go out there and stick an axe in the ground. And uh, it'll split the uh, it'll split the wind and split the clouds and the, and the storm. Storm went around his place. I mean, it blew down everything all around it. I think it blew one tree down on his place. Didn't really do any harm. Uh, then a little later on, there was another major storm coming that way, and uh, he did the same thing. And by golly, it uh, the storm just went went right around him. It just it's just not there. Uh, we've done this with uh, a time or so with tornado. Uh, we've done it with with a number of things. Uh, I guess this might have been since you uh, since we did our interview. There was a series of uh, tornadoes coming up uh, through Alabama, Tennessee, right up through where we were. And I went out that night and looked at the sky, and I've never seen a time like that. It wasn't just a flash of lightning now and then. It was a continual flash of maybe of many flashes of lightning. You could have walked out through the woods in the dark because it really wasn't dark anymore. It sounded like a freight train running through the sky. And I just pulled my knife out, cut, cut the storm, and parted it on either side to the north and south. And there was a tornado to the north about six miles. And about six miles to the south, one actually blew up a tractor and trailer through a truck stop. Uh, we had a tree blow down here, about all it amounted to. So I tell people you can do this. Now, I don't really play with the weather at all. I only do things if I feel there's a, is a good need to do it. Um, but can other people do this? Well, yeah, some of, them, some of them can. I get some feedback on this. But what you said earlier, it is the belief system that the people can do it. I think hearing about success stories really helps prepare people's minds for the ability to do it. I will share a cute little story with you. I was in Europe at the beginning of the year. I was in France and Switzerland and Glastonbury. 
Somebody took me up to the tour. It's this special place and great ley lines and it's this tall thing and you walk up these pastures. There's winds. I felt like I was going to be blown off this very high up elevated place. I was inside this casing where you stand on the inside. There's a guy playing guitar there. The wind is blowing so hard. I'm with a friend that I had met there and her dog. I walk outside and it's raining everywhere but where we're standing. I said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. 15 feet out in front of us, it's pouring. But where we're standing, it's not. And it was just one of those epiphanies that we live in a supernatural world and that there are things that happen that are supernatural that we may not understand. It was just too bizarre. It goes to show you that it's not only doable, it's possible. Now, I don't believe I had anything to do with that, but I just thought it was interesting that I experienced a phenomenon like that. That is interesting, but I would say that somebody <laughs> had something to do with yeah, it. Well, yeah, I know, but it must have been like a cosmic team or something. But whatever it was, it was fascinating. And I guess I was supposed to receive a revelation there that this happens. I've met people that said they've spent time with rainmakers, real rainmakers, who actually deal with weather in Africa and also with the Hopi Reservation and other tribes, and that it's done all the time. That it's literally this interface, this interdimensional communication with spirit and the creator can stop a rain where there's too much and start a rain where it's needed. And my question to you is, why can't we get Africa to be less of a place of famine? What would we have to do to make it flourish? Well, I don't really know exactly what all their problems are over there. So I don't know that I have an answer to that. Or any places of tremendous droughts? Well, we could give them the same information, but would they use it? I, I don't know. See, I can when I'm teaching a class, I put out the same information to everyone. Some people can use it and some people can't. Sure. What do you think about what's happening right now with Fukushima? I, I've got to ask you about this. Well, I don't really know much about that well let me give you this scenario I, I can about I, how bad it is yeah can i give you this uh, scenario all the, the, all the trash out there in the pacific right and that's why i wanted to throw out the idea i don't know if we have reached this point mentally and spiritually or not but if we haven't i think we're at least getting closer to where we can literally um scramble the frequency or you might say reduce the pollutant to its original element and if enough fo people focused on that i believe it could be done and i really think it's the same principle of taking all of the uh all the things out of water whether it's um, uh sulfur or iron or arsenic or right bad taste anything i really don't see a difference in the principle here um it might take more of a belief system to believe we could do something like that and we may have to get a little bit smarter and a little bit more faith to do it but i do believe it's possible i think it's possible too only because of where i am now in my mind but i wonder what it would be like if even ten thousand people projected the cleaning up of japan and all affected areas that japan has impacted through the radioactive waste both in the air the water and the ground wouldn't that be a lovely project to have focused intent about? Because what's happening in the quantum realm is that more and more people are talking about how the U.S. is over, North America is over. In other words, 
that we're doomed. Now, there may be a truth to it, but we have a say about causation, and we know that we are not just physical bodies. We're supernatural as well, and we live in a supernatural world. I think it would be prudent that for all the people listening to the show that would like to project that this radioactivity is being cleaned up, not only in Japan, but all impacted areas around the world would be lovely and necessary, don't you? Well, yes, I would agree with that. And I don't know that you need numbers so much, Kim, as you need people of higher consciousness to do it. I think we need you and we need other people like you. This is so big. It is, and it's bigger than any project that I ever took on before. I mean, when people tell me, let me be clear with you, Miss Greenhouse, you better not eat any more fish in the Pacific Ocean. Do not eat the fish now. And because a lot of the traditional networks are not reporting on it, people are eating it. It's industry. So I think there's a desperate, a serious call to call in somebody like you regarding what's happening with Fukushima. Because it's, for the most part, very much unreported that it's still hot and active. They're saying it'll be hundreds of years before it's not active. I think somebody like you is desperately needed for this. I realize the Philippines now is a disaster and so many people have been hurt and died and are in pain and have lost their homes. You know, there's only so many disasters you could be called into. But whatever you feel and think that you could do, And I'd be happy to participate in whatever you do with this or whatever you want done with this. I just think we should do it. It's too big. And the Fukushima thing is impacting the entire world. A lot of times in our mind, we say, ah, it's over there. The thing happening is over there. The thing is already here. And we had results that the impacts were here one week after Fukushima happened. That's why the EPA raised the acceptable rates of radioactivity. They didn't want the public to panic. But I know with what you do and the work and the dimension that you work in and the actual practicality of this, it's needed. It's really needed, and it's urgent. And it doesn't really matter where it is on Earth because we need to take care of the Earth because it's the only one we got. The thing about it, Kim, if assuming we could do this, and I'm not saying we can or we can't because I honestly don't know. I'm going to have to give some thought. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. And I've got a meeting with somebody uh, next week that I have a lot of confidence in, and we'll see what we can come up with. And if we looks like it's something we can do, then I will get back with you and uh, let you be the organizer or whatever on this. But let, let's see what kind of answer we get. But here's the problem. Human beings don't have a very good track record for being smart. That's I mean, true. They just never have. <laughs> Humans have tried to kill themselves or each other uh, about as long as they've been here. And not only that, they've got a very poor track record of taking care of the earth. And this may be a way to thin the herd. Uh, I'm seeing a Another way out there that looks to me like it's happening, too, I won't get into uh, right now because I figure we're getting about out of time. I didn't have a whole lot more time today. But um, I might talk to you privately about it at some point and then see if I want to do a show on it. I'd like to. Uh, But let me look into this and see what I come up with, see if the spirit world will help me on it. Because I work with the spirit world, and I can't really do a whole lot of stuff unless I get some help. So I'll, I, I just don't have a ready answer for you right That's now. fine. That's fine. Even the consideration of what I'm talking about, I just feel compelled and called to ask you, not so much to put you on the spot on the show, but to say to you, 
knowing the capacity is there to do what you do at your level and the projected intent and desire for the conditions regarding this situation to be helped. There are so many things that need help in the world. I realize that. And they're all competing for each other. But I think this is huge. And that's why I wanted to just call you in to take a look and see what is the call here. I so appreciate you. I can't wait to come to a class with you. Are you have any classes coming up in 2014? Yeah, I'm getting some invitations now. But what I'm going to do, Kim, I'm going to make it easy for everybody. Uh, we've already filmed a webinar, and I normally have a two-day intensive class, but that includes break time, lunch time, question-answer sessions, all that. I have filmed a webinar uh, where I've got the uh, same amount of information, but I only filmed the part where I was presenting information, and I've cut it down to a little more than eight hours. Right. And I don't know when we're going to have it ready yet, but anybody out there listening that wants to sign up for my newsletter, just go to my website, RaymondGrace.us. And that's R A Y M O N, not with a D, Grace.us. Then that site will lead you to the Raymond Grace Project site. Uh, we've also got a free video at Raymond Grace Project for helping folks balance the uh, blood flow to the brain, right, left brain hemisphere, and brain chemistry because. There's a lot of that. We won't get into that, all that right now, but there's a there's an awful lot of that affecting, especially kids. And we've had some really good results uh, showing people how to help themselves. I just made a free video. It's only maybe six or eight minutes long, and uh, people can tune into that every day. And I'm getting feedback that folks are doing this, and they say it's helping. And for the, I'll repeat again for anyone wanting to deal with any kind of abuse without having to get physically involved or even verbally involved or anything. Do this in the privacy of your own home and just use me to do it for you. Go to RaymondGraceFoundation.org, click on what we do, and there's an eight-segment uh, video there called Blueprint for Freedom. So um, uh, I got an email this morning that there had been a major pedophile uh, roundup um in Canada, and it was about uh, human trafficking for kids. They rescued about 400 kids. Well, that also happened in Europe uh, here about two years ago. What I noticed, and I can't claim credit for this, even though I would like to, uh, do I believe it helped? Yes, but I can't prove it. But after we put that out there, uh, the film Blueprint for Freedom, I started noticing there's a lot more things like that happening. That's fantastic. So uh, we may do some, put out another film on uh, doing something uh, on a large scale if it uh, if it looks like it's a worthwhile thing to do. So I'll give some thought on this, Kim. I really, really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing and everything that you teach and put forth. And I hope the listeners of the show go to your website and really receive you on a whole new level of practicality and spirituality and grace. You know, you have the right name. <laughs> on another time, if you want to, and but then maybe I'll have some more stories, but I've got something else going on. Back when I was a kid, maybe 15 years old, I thought it would be really nice and beneficial if I could project into a past time and stop people from being tortured. Well, by golly, I may have found a way to do it. I need a few more uh, good stories, but I'll, I'll share them with you sometime if you want to hear them. I would love it. 
I would love it. Ladies, I mean, we seem to be getting physical results of having gone back in a past time and prevent something from happening. Get a little far. You got to stretch your. That's mind okay. It's okay. We've done remote viewing here. We've done segments on telepathy and in the area of physics. That's pretty mind blowing. This is awesome. We have been talking with, learning from, and listening to Raymond Grace, the founder of the Raymond Grace Foundation and the author of Seasons of April, The Future is Yours, and Techniques That Work for Me. You can find him by going to raymondgrace.us. It's rainmaking time. Thank you so much, Raymond. Thanks for the invitation. My pleasure.